This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but Christ remains on his throne. So what does it mean to live in the light of that truth rather than the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, two Christian apologists who believe that true hope and realism go hand in hand. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. Well, as it often happens, none of you are surprised to find out that Cameron and I probably don't um, watch, we're not as involved in the whole sports world as we probably should be. I think, you know, don't certainly sports don't think ball. there's anything. Yeah. <laughs> go my favorite sports team, go. No, uh, we, we, do, we have interest. We have functional knowledge of such things, but maybe we don't have as much of our identity wrapped up in it sometimes. But, you know, we're actually living in a moment where the Olympics, we're going to talk about the Olympics for a second here. The Olympics just don't have the traction this year that they've had in the past. Viewership is way down. All sorts of controversies and odd things happening, comings and goings. And part of that is, I'm sure, in the backdrop of tensions between the U.S. and Canada, and uh, not Canada, the U.S., China, and Russia, um, and the ongoings there. But one particular figure that sort of stands out in the middle of this is Eileen Gu. And so, as often the case, we don't... Uh, follow a lot of sports, but when we do look at the sporting world, Cameron and I often see things that aren't necessarily related just to the technique uh, and the physique of the athletes, but broader things that are happening. And Eileen Goo is just the a wonderful confluence of all sorts of fascinating things. Massive stardom, um, super talented. We'll put that all super well-spoken, very bright young lady, uh, very difficult not to like, but has created all sorts of crazy reactions from all sorts of angles. And so I think there's, here's an individual who is representing something that's bigger than herself. We maybe, and we might not even be able to figure out what that is exactly, but something about her strikes me as very important to our time. And maybe Cameron can read between the lines there and figure out why I think this is interesting. Well, I mean, for one thing, I think a lot of it surrounds the issue of identity when we're talking about Eileen Gu because, mm -hmm. yeah, for the very simple reason that she identifies as both Chinese and American. And I think that concentrates a lot of cultural tensions right there. And now there's political ramifications to that, obviously, because of what's going on. I mean, all of the, the ratcheting tensions in China the concerns about the human rights crisis over there. I mean, many people, plenty of people are not watching the Olympics out of principle now. And here here comes this amazing athlete. Well, who, and we do have a diplomatic boycott as a country. So, I mean, exactly. yeah, it's not just individuals. It's our entire government isn't Pre showing up. So Precisely. Yeah. So, But now there's huge, there's, of course, massive pressure on her to be as aggressively apolitical as she can. And so far, she seems to be doing quite well in that department. As you mentioned, Nathan, she's she's extremely well spoken. She's brilliant. She she has so much appeal, and yet one wrong move, 
And there, there's tons and tons of money at stake, I think, basically, because so many brands have have kind of sponsored her. So, yeah, it's but I think most of it is it's growing out of that that kind of that identity issue that's going on here where she's yeah, I've you know, my mom is, is Chinese. She's fluent in Mandarin. Isn't that right? Mm hmm. Yeah. So she has a legitimate claim it would seem to both nations and she's and then she is competing for correct me if i'm wrong here cuz nathan's had to clue me into <laughs> this is once again another fun moment here clue cameron into who one of the biggest athletic stars on the planet is right now but she's she's competing for china as well is that isn't that correct yeah so i think that's that's part of the thing that when why this is an identity thing is because she's been Everybody would say she's not answering any questions about what her nationality is because you can't, from China's perspective, you can't have dual citizenship. You're either Chinese or you're not. So the question is whether or not China is making a special concession for her to compete for them. And she has won one gold medal already, or if she forfeited her American citizenship in order to be solely Chinese in order to compete for China. And that's the question that people don't Nobody knows what the answer to that is, and she hasn't said. What's more interesting to me is that people ask, but the fact that she hasn't answered is is being widely supported, I think, by many young people who say, look, she just says, I'm out there living my best life now. I want sport to be something that unifies us, these other things. Sorry if this is a problem to you, but I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to make myself happy and live my best life. So that is, it's in that those types of answers where I think you see generational and ideological sparks flying because some people would say, how in the world can you say it doesn't matter which country I'm representing, particularly at a time in which one country is accusing another country of massive human rights uh, eras. On the other hand, you can have other people say, hey, look, here's a young lady who has figured out how to work the system and play both sides. And she's going to be a college freshman worth somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 60 million bucks. Um, good for her. She's figured out how to... Uh, kind of keep two beasts happy at the same time. And that's a free world to make money in. And why wouldn't you do that? And so then you have what 40 other top brands lined up behind her that she's the face for. So she's not just speaking for China. She's not just speaking for the U S she's not, well, actually I guess she isn't really speaking for the U S at all because she's competing for China, but she's also speaking for these other top brands, but phenomenal amounts of money at stake. I, you remember back, year or so ago when one of the NBA uh, team managers tweeted support for the Hong Kong pro-democracy protest and then NBA games were canceled. Uh, they weren't televised in China. And so they're saying, you know, that one tweet cost the NBA around $450 million. And so when you're, when you're playing at this speed with such high stakes, she's, she's doing a good job of saying a lot without saying much. And everybody knows that she's walking on extremely thin ice um, to keep all the powers that be happy. So it's a, it's kind of a, I don't know where it'll all go, but it's an interesting thing to watch for sure. It reminds me of a line that was in the Netflix show, The Crown, which is about Queen, the, the Queen, of course, in Britain and the tensions of the modern world encroaching on the monarchy. And there's one point at which she is told anytime you basically I'll butcher the I'll butcher the eloquence with which this is stated but any time that you make 
a definitive statement or give an opinion, you have taken a stance. You've declared a position. What you need to do is carefully guard your impartiality. That is what you need to do as a queen. And a similar dynamic seems to be the case with some of these absolute superstars who are themselves, as you mentioned, Nathan, a confluence of all of these different political factors with, in this case, tons of money on the line. It's just imperative that, yes, be that top athlete, excel, show your amazing skill and craftsmanship, but do not declare any kind of definitive position on anything that really matters because to do so, you're, it's basically like royalty issuing some kind of formal decree because you're a superstar. So all of your words are weighed so, so heavily. And so it's funny to watch, yeah, to watch her at these press conferences make these very, yeah, living my best life now. And, you know, some of these these clever statements that are designed to sort of sidestep these issues. But you also have an American kind of individualistic mindset, which might go something along the yeah, lines so of... Yeah, so this is where, yeah, say more right. here. This is where I think is going to get interesting. Right, yeah. So, yeah, good for her. She's... You know, she's she is doing what is best for her. She's obviously wildly successful, managing her her career very, you know, really well. Let's just just leave her alone. But then you've got China, which I'm I mean is is largely a kind of a way it, it's that sort of freewheeling individualism is not is pretty foreign. And you've got more of a collectivist mindset in many of these places and much more community-minded, much more the, th the thinking of, hey, no, I, I want to make sure that what I do does not dishonor my nation, that it does not dishonor my, my national identity, my family, all of those dynamics. I mean, there's, there's massive tension there. There's a lot of differences there. So Nathan got real excited there when I, when I said American individualism. So that might, I think we might be getting into the well, figuring out what, what he finds so interesting about this. Yeah. Well, no. So that's the thing is like, so she's clearly competing for China. She won a gold medal for China. And when she did, by the way, the, the hashtag associated with her name, which would be kind of an equivalent system to Twitter in the US, had 1.5 billion retweets, for lack of a better word. 1.5 billion. That's 20% of the Earth's population. When So when Cameron says superstar, ah, that. That's about as far up the ladder as you're going to get on a lot of those things. Um, but anyway, yeah, so she's competing for China, but saying things like, I'm just a girl out here trying to have fun, living my best life now. Is there a, a more American sentence to say than that is, is part of the question. And so I just, yeah, I found there to be kind of this hilarious, if if what she, what it, I, I guess the question I have is, what if what she's doing is not politically or financially motivated what if it's really how she sees herself? Now, I don't think anybody believes that right out, but is it possible that she does? Yeah, I mean, of course it's possible. In some ways, that that would be the line of thinking that would be a default position, I think, for so many people who have grown up in the United States, right? And... The idea that I would, for instance, that I would compete for this or that nation 
all of that it would be more of a kind of strategic sort of you could think of it almost as how how will this how will this bolster my career in what way can i parlay this into some form of advantage and i think in a in a very uncon you know unself-conscious way plenty of people would just start to think along those lines because i don't know the old I'm, I'm, i guess a broader question in my mind is one that used to come to that that i i had to confront as a third culture kid who moved to the united states when he was a teenager and that was the the notion of, of patriotism was always quite foreign to me it was because i i really where am I from? I don't really know. I was born in Austria. My dad is from Scotland. My mom is American. I'm not really from anywhere. I don't really have a country of my own, so to speak. So that was that was something that was different for me. It was something I've 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 kind of struggled to wrap my head around. But I wonder if that kind of thinking is really on the decline, not so much for because people are politically opposed to it, but because it's just not part of our cultural dynamic. We've been so focused on, quote, living your best life, living a fulfilling life, seeking experiences that help you to grow. And that kind of a vision just tends to exclude this kind of this kind of picture where you you want to lend yourself to some bigger cause for nation, for your people. This is very much me going out on a limb here. I'm not I'm not at all certain that this makes sense, but I'm wondering if that's in some way tied to some of your speculation about her mindset there. Yeah, well, and we should point out here that lots of people compete for countries other than the country they live in. Uh particularly, I mean a big one you see so like in the Olympics when you have basketball, the vast majority it seems of profession of, of national teams, their athletes have played and trained in the US or in the NBA. So you have people who kind of go home from their basketball career to compete on behalf of the nation they were born in. And um, this seems to be a reversal of that in some ways of somebody competing for the nation they're not born in. Again, not the first time this has ever happened, but it does seem like it's um, drawing out and maybe it is totally just like background political tension. I mean, you even have people like Nikki Haley calling her out and saying, look, you're choosing to compete under the flag of a nation that we know is committing human rights abuses. And that, whether it's individualism or money, that's wrong. Uh, so you, it's drawing that type of response here, but that might have, I think we're getting tangled up between a political background and also this ind this rise of the individual. But I think both... I think the rise of the individual is there in the sense that even 10 years ago, it would be hard to say I'm competing, but I represent myself and not my country. Or what I do is representative only of, of just me. I'm just trying to be me and having the time of my life. If that's a problem, that's your problem uh, kind of thing. So yeah, I, I think in a way there, there is a newness there. And I'm just saying that that newness is American. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what, what flag you're doing that under. Yeah, and I think why is it American? I think we could we could spend some time on that here for a second because some people might be listening and saying, "Wait, what do you, what do you mean? America doesn't have a, a monopoly on individualism." That might be true, but we actually I think we do have a monopoly on a certain brand of individualism. And we've got to go back to our our key poets 
if we want to understand it, I think. And one of the big guys would be Ralph Waldo Emerson. There's a few names that always come to mind, but Ralph Waldo Emerson is one of them. And his essay, Self-Reliance, is a big pick, is, provides some of the, the wording here and some of the picture, I think, as well. The notion that you want to not only figure life out for yourself, but that you are able to kind of make yourself, so to speak. I mean, it's Emerson who says that history is an injury and an impertinence if it be anything less than a cheerful apologue or parable of my being and becoming. Now, I'm, I'm indebted to the scholar Roger Lundeen for drawing my attention to that quote, but that is an absolutely astonishing statement. Because what he's saying is, yeah, you know, the circumstances of your birth, the people who are around you, poured into you, your family, friends, neighbors, teachers, all that, that's, that's all fine and dandy, but it's an injury and an impertinence to you if it gets in the way of your own being and becoming. You should be able to become and be whatever you want. Your, your journey of self-development, I mean, one of the great, the most powerful myths in the American world is the notion of the self-made person used to be the self-made man let's make it a little bit more inclusive the self-made person that that idea it strikes me is uniquely american there's a there's a kind of poetic whimsy to it walt whitman is another major figure here and he's he's an actual he's a literal poet his song of myself is a big part of that as well so i think what we're encountering all I'm trying to do is provide a little bit of evidence for the fact that this is in the DNA of Americans. And by the way, I'm fully aware that many people haven't necessarily read Walt Whitman or some of these essays by Ralph Waldo Emerson. You don't have to have read them. They are they are in the American consciousness, and you'll pick them up in a number of different ways. And when I'm talking, whenever I talk about this, and I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but I always I always like to point to the title of former first lady Michelle Obama's memoir, which is, of course, it's called Becoming, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is one of the, I mean, that just links right up with with this tradition. So it's in, in, that, in that sense that I think, I mean, it's a long way from saying, you know, history is an impertinence and an injury if it be anything less than a cheerful apologue or parable of my being and becoming. It's a long way from that to, well, I'm just a girl living my best life now. <laughs> but I guess I'm saying... I think that's a variation of what Emerson is saying. Yeah, so there you have it, everybody. Eileen as the embodiment of Emerson. You heard it first right here. <laughs> I'm thinking out loud. That's right. So, yeah, but I, but there is a, I, that's a, I mean, I think for a lot of people listening to this, particularly if you're on the, the older side of the spectrum of our, of the folks who listen here, you're going to say, what in the world happened? Because patriotism was a real thing. National identity was a real thing. National pride was a real thing. Um, and for a lot of people still is a real thing. So therein lies some fundamental tension that Eileen Gu is drawing out in this kind of, eh, I'm appreciative of everything and appreciative to everybody, but I don't need to have a clearly defined. So I think that's the reason that she has staying power in the news sources, because it is this, our inability to define who she is and where she belongs and who her people are, so to speak, well, and, and to figure out whether or not we're part of that, that that's the confusion. Yeah, yeah, that's the confusion. And it seems to me, though, that another 
another issue here though one of the one of one of the things that the key discipline that's emerging right now in the United States and that's proving such a source of tension and I would also argue constructive conversations is history really history sociology is is close behind it but history especially and what's happening in the United States is a kind of if you're going to speak in broad terms a kind of national reckoning where we're we're digging through a lot of the sources and people are doing this across the political spectrum we're looking into the history of the nation its founding the the its politics its treatment of minorities and also for those of us who are christians the history of christianity in the united states and the various denominations and their entanglement in various forms of political compromise and corruption in some ways you can zoom out and say well as a christian you would say this is the this is a picture of humanity fallen humanity and then you see its outworkings with you know played out across the field of history but the reason that's that's an that's an interesting development is because america a part of american individualism is that it is so ah historical what i just gave you from emerson is i mean you can't get more a ah historical than that and i mean so forget the poets let's talk about industrialists what about henry ford he had nothing good whatsoever to say about tradition he had nothing good whatsoever to say about history and he, he, he regarded both as impediments and as obstacles. For him, the name of the game was innovation, moving forward. And that's actually a key source of American strength as well. I mean, we are a nation of pragmatists, it's true, but we're also a nation of fierce innovators. And we're resilient, but that's also a huge weakness because human beings are historical creatures. And I think for a younger generation now, they're going to look at Eileen Gu and they're going to say, look, I suppose you, you, you really don't have the right to say, I'm just living my best life now. I'm just a girl living my best life now because you are a person who is necessarily involved with other people. And also you're a person of massive outsized influence and your decisions matter for yourself and for others. You're, you're, you are a relational creature, and what you're doing carries historical weight and historical significance. But you know that's in that's in tension with a long kind of a long-standing way we have looked at life, and especially the a way we have looked at celebrities. But now, I, so I just think there's a lot of some of the younger the younger generation. There's a phrase that you never want to you want to stay away from if you want to if you want to remain young in your own mind. <laughs> But, you know, younger people in general are much more historically conscious right now. And I and so that's where I think this incredible, brilliant athlete is going to have a lot of younger critics as well, because her some of her behavior seems to be in serious tension with or direct conflict with, I would say, a growing historical consciousness, which, by the way, I think is not a bad thing. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, but I'm not seeing that. I think she's getting a pass on all of that. So. Mm, I can't I can't quite put my finger on it. So why? Why can Eileen headline for all these celebrity brands? While sort of not giving any. 
recognition of some major moral issues that a lot of people have. I haven't, I have, there's, there's something going on here. I can't quite put my finger on and it's not like it's scary or anything. It's just really, really interesting to me of how this is all being held. Well, right now her success speaks for itself. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she, she has, she is, she is a reigning kind of athletic presence and celebrity, but we also don't know the way this will all play out. It'll be interesting. I mean, I think that's why a lot of a lot of people are, if I'm understanding it correctly, are watching so closely because they're saying one one misstep, and this house of cards comes yeah. down, and so she's got to be so carefully poised. Yeah. So actually, that's interesting here because now what we're saying is that people are watching her, not just because she's a phenomenal athlete, but the on the continuing drama is recognizing these massive pressures that are building all around here in all sorts of categories. So uh, even if you don't watch the Olympics, this is an interesting one to watch. I'd like to pivot just a second, Cameron. Well, I mean, certainly journalists are watching her like that. Yeah. Sure. Um, And ask you a question. Okay, so, oh, you know, all this out there and historical and the uh, history being an impediment and all this. Who do you represent as an individual? How do you, I mean, and so let's submit this to everybody who's listening. Who, who represents you and who is represented by you? Those are interesting, right? So give us, give us some framework for helping us think through and answer that question, Cameron, of sure who, or how do, I mean, because I think we're, I think this question, who gets to speak for me and who represents me? Yeah. Maybe we need to split it in half first. Sure. Take well, it I mean, as you will. Yeah, I mean, on a, uh, the most primal expression is you're necessarily you're gonna you're a representative, you're an ambassador of your family, and the various communities to which you belong. So I'm I represent my church, and I represent at this point now because I I, I do represent thinking out loud since this is this is my my occupation and organization. And so it's really it's looking at those let's let's bring in a word a very loaded and beautiful word that we often lose in modern society but those bonds of connection so to hmm. f- so to family to church and yes I do represent so I do represent America because I so I am a US citizen and so if I were in the way that this shows up most clearly, and I'm, I'm I do have a frame of reference here because, and so does Nathan, because Nathan and I have both traveled quite extensively. So when we are when we're in another country, and people pick up on our accents or they see us speaking English, if let's say this is a nation that doesn't speak English, and it becomes apparent that we're American, now do we speak for all Americans? In one sense, no. But are we representatives of a nation in that context? Yes, we are. I mean, for better or for worse, like it or not, you are an ambassador. And so I think it's I, I think it's an instructive question to walk to walk through that. Now in America, once again, let me let me point to different sources. Now now pop culture sources. Let's get away from Ralph Waldo Emerson for just a second and make myself sound <laughs> just a little less nerdy. Update us. But well, in America, there's a whole cottage industry of stories and sitcom fairy tales 
that basically argue the opposite of what I've just said. That no, your family, your family is really who you choose. If you if you have any doubt about that, just watch a Thanksgiving episode of New Girl or Friends, you name it. In these episodes, almost always, the moral of the story is, oh, my 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 real family let me down, and I didn't I didn't choose them, but you guys are my friends. We chose I chose you, and therefore you are my real family because choice was involved. Now, this is a this is a real overgeneralization, and I'm not trying to trivialize the very real pain that we experience in our families and because of family members, but that's just to point out that the moral of the story so often is that, hey, you get to choose these deep bonds and affiliations, and I'm I'm here to argue, or just suggest to you at least, as gently as I can, no, you don't. You don't get to choose. There are some there are some instances where you you can make some choices. There are voluntary associations, of course. That would be you know the places you work and things like that. And what you I mean, you you're not coerced into go into being at a church. But there are senses of there is a sense of obligation that is inescapable, and that's human life. That's not me speaking as some traditionalist. So. In some ways, some people would see would see say that is the case. You know, I am after all a Christian, and I have certain convictions that would fall under maybe more ancient lines of thinking or traditional designations. But I am I'm suggesting to you that nobody nobody gets out of this one. You can pretend like you do, but you don't really. Those bonds of affiliation and obligation remain, whether you acknowledge them or not. Yeah, so I don't know, because what, I mean, so what's Eileen doing then? What does it mean to represent your country? Um, Because I think maybe part of the thing that people fear the most is that we're losing a collective identity or culture in which you could say, this is what it means to be part of this. Um, When I lived in England, I lived in international student housing, and there were two girls, uh, well, young ladies, uh, probably both of them 2021 in that era, um, who came for six weeks to Oxford to study, to just work on their English. And they both denied that I was American. Um, the reason for that being is they had learned most of their English by watching friends. They claimed that I was too skinny to be an American. Also, I cooked rice, which they said was un-American and I repaired things rather than throwing them away and buying a new something, which they said was un-American, which may have had more to do with my financial standing at the point than my national identity. But it's funny to me how people have, does your, does your identity and representation mean anything if the broader representation is based off of stereotypes that don't hold to be true? I think that's where things are fracturing and coming apart because we're saying, well, what would it mean to say I represent this country or sometimes even this family or even this religion? And that's a question within Christianity of like, what does it say to mean I represent evangelicalism, for example, if you were to use that phrase? Um, you can see how the, the collective confusion leads to an individual confusion, unless you're just going to say, well, I don't think the collective speaks for me. And so it's more of a, I think it's more of a defense mechanism rather than something that we're yearning for, but it's a self-isolating and protecting kind of thing that we do to say, look, um, I'm going to do me and 
is going to be great and I'm going to enjoy that and pursue it as far as I can as a way of saying, I don't think anything represents me well outside of myself. However, we're quickly going to point out in the other direction that leads usually to some severe loneliness and isolation. So this individual collective identity and how it all gets worked out, I think, again, I'm not, I'm not able to really put my finger on it right now, but there's something going on in this story that's different than what has been in the past. Yeah, and I don't, I don't. Well, I mean, again, speaking specifically of of Goo, of course, she. There's no doubt about the details of her, of her nation of birth, all of that, because she is because she's such a major celebrity. So I, that's again why I think she is in some ways a lightning rod for for this. But I think, broadly speaking, we're highlighting. More, I think what we're highlighting are just some of the tensions right now that are unique to our age. I think we've got a growing, I still, I do think we've got a growing historical consciousness, but we, but it's still at war with that kind of fiercely individualistic impulse that is in some ways uniquely American, but that's been broadly exported now because of just really just globalization and that has that's had far-reaching effects so how this all what this begins to how this unfolds i'm not sure i think it'll be interesting to keep an eye on (laughs) on goo and just to see what the what the developments will be there as well but yeah not quite sure nathan any closing thoughts well we've really made a mess yeah, well, I think we just made a mess of, and a lot of people come back and say, look, can you not just enjoy the fact that she's a wonderful athlete and watch her ski? That's what she's there to do. She's doing an excellent job at it. Um, can you just appreciate the thing for what it is? Do you have to And the answer is, of course, yes, you can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> um, so, yeah, leave it up to us to look at something that should be about skiing and turn it into something about national identity and individualism and Emerson. But that also might be the reason you were here in the first place. So... Like it or not, this is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book one of our speakers or make a donation. Visit thinkingoutloudtogether.com. And lastly, if you'd like our podcast, spread the word. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really does help. 